Welcome to The Data Optimist. I am Melissa Stock, and today I speak with Al Cags from the Open Institute and Tom Orrell from Data Ready. Al is the founder of the Open Institute, a non-profit organization in Kenya that promotes engagement between civil society, the private sector, and government to achieve sustainable development. Tom is the founder of Data Ready. His work bridges data governance, human rights, and sustainable development. You are at the forefront of a movement, the Restore Data Rights movement. Could you tell us more about it? Earlier this year, with the COVID pandemic sweeping across the globe, Al and I um, had a conversation about what the implications of the pandemic would be for the work that we do. And we work, um, as you outlined in your introduction, Melissa, we work at the intersection of sustainable development, issues around rights and issues around data governance and how data is used. So our concern um, was squarely focused on what the implications would be for the world's poorest and the poorest in society um, and for countries where institutions and laws are not necessarily um, as strong as they could be and effective enough to provide that buffer and that protection that people need in, in how their digital data is being used. Um, the Restore Data Rights movement was a reaction to that. It was us thinking through um, what we could do from where we were sitting in the work that we were doing to help to mitigate some of the potential harm and damage that could be done. At the time, back in April 2020, so April this year, uh, when the pandemic was kicking off, um, what we were seeing around the world was a host of different challenges and issues. Um, all the discussions and debates which have been had around contact tracing apps, for instance, and the implications that those have for individuals' rights, um, the conversations and the debates which have been going on around the world about you know, where exactly the line should be drawn between how um, data should be used on the one hand to tackle the pandemic and on the other hand, uh, the need to preserve people's rights, whether that's their right to privacy or, or to protect their data, um, and all the myriad issues which connect to that. So the role of third party providers in the private sector um, the inequities which are built into many of these systems in that those who have the data often have the power and those who have the data are usually not individuals themselves um, and all of those issues. But we, we, we try to look at this from a constructive point of view. We didn't want to just, um, you know, name and shame and um, be negative about everything and just shout about how terrible it was that, that private sector companies were, were doing you know certain things or that governments were, were shutting down societies and using digital data to do that um, as development professionals i think what we often think about is you know what can we do to improve things what can we do to make things better and we really wanted to leverage that position so the restored data rights movement um was something that we thought about um back then at that time and the objective at the beginning was to think about how we could support governments and other entities which work in international development. So that's often entities like UN agencies, big international charities, some big companies, but very often also the most important actors are the civil society and public interest groups, which work on the ground in countries around the world um, on local issues um, and also academic communities and partners who often work um, again, on, on, on helping to strengthen institutional capacity and knowledge within countries. So we wanted to, to develop a, an initiative and an approach which brought these different groups of people together 
um, focusing on these issues, but in a constructive way. And the objective at the beginning was very much um, to focus on how we could limit the potential for harm and how we could also utilize the opportunity of the pandemic, if I can put it that way, to improve the knowledge and understanding of policymakers about why many of these issues are important and to start to build up a strong base um, which would help to improve practices down the line. I think neither of us really was under any illusion at the beginning that you know no country in the world is, is getting the balance absolutely right. No country is doing things perfectly. This is the first international crisis of its kind where digital data-driven tools are playing such a prominent role um, in the response to a, a public health emergency of this nature. And there's bound to be errors and things done imperfectly. But the Restore Data Rights movement was very much an attempt and is very much an attempt to try and um, leverage the opportunities of the pandemic in a way which are constructive and progressive at the same time. Which um, organisations are involved in the movement currently? Al at the Open Institute is the the face of the, the movement and, and the lead. Um, I support Al and the Open Institute from here in London. Um, and together we strategize and we think about how to coordinate and, and move things forward. Um, we've set up what we're calling the Restore Data Rights Steering Committee, and that's made up of a number of individuals from across the African continent. Representatives include Irungu Horton from Amnesty International in Kenya, um, Teki Akwete Falconer from the African Digital Rights Hub in Ghana, uh, Benga Sesan from the Paradigm Initiative in Nigeria, Edetayan Ojo from um, the Media Rights Agenda in Nigeria, um, professor Tom Moultrie, who's a professor of demography at the University of Cape Town um, in South Africa. Um, a gentleman called uh, Wakabi Wairagala um, from Sipesa, based in Uganda. And then there are a couple of other people and entities which are not, not quite within the inner circle, as it were, but working with us closely um, uh, on, on the initiative. The, the importance that I would like to stress of, of all of this is that it's it's locally led, it's led by experts in their field um, from countries across the continent. I think probably the, the, the most important thing that I would add to that very comprehensive uh, overview is this, that part of the reasoning behind us uh, sort of fomenting this movement is that um, especially here in Africa, we are seeing um, some of the, um, well, we're seeing it all over the world, but we're seeing it a lot in Africa, where we're seeing um, governments um, and private sector entities um, taking advantage of the of the um, pandemic and their response to the pandemic to use um, citizens' data in ways that, in ordinary circumstances, would cause many people to protest. Take contact tracing, for example. Um, if um, a government is using contact tracing for purposes of finding somebody who has been in contact with me having uh, tested positive for COVID, that's all very well and good. But what if they then take that data and pass it on to the revenue authority so that they can um, check whether I paid all of my taxes? Uh, automatically, that then means that um, I'm incriminating myself or they're using the data to then um, incriminate me in an area that has nothing to do with the pandemic. Now, a lot of this has been done. We've seen in the U.S. Um, where 
um, the, the, some of the states' uh, governments and, and the federal government have used um, uh, citizen uh, contact tracing data to try and find people who are in the Black, uh, Black um, uh, Lives Matter movement, um, you know, to try and find who else was processing. Now, on the continent, being that um, we have some of the, um, you know, we have a lot of experience with dictatorships and, and that sort of thing, we know that um, if, you know, citizen data was to be misused, um, then it can be misused in very, very serious um, sort of ways and in ways that truly could harm people. So we're trying to now use the opportunity to sort of um, build um, a, a, a movement that gets even governments um, to see the danger and to actually be part of this um, agenda. So the declaration lies at the heart of, of the movement. How will the declaration work and, and how will it prevent this misuse of data that you describe? So I think that the, the declaration for us is, uh, is our opening salvo, so to speak. It's basically a set of principles that everybody signs up to and says that we all agree um, that there are certain ways in which citizen data must be used um, or can or cannot be used, and that we all agree that in this set of principles, if all of us agree in principle that um, these are the, the boundaries uh, of, of the work that we shall do, who we shall use it for, then it is going to be um, uh, useful. So what we are trying to do is to actually get um, different um, uh, entities, uh, being governments, being... Um, civil society organizations being um, uh, governments to sort of sign up to it and and essentially declare that um, you know we all we all share a common vision the idea behind um, the the declaration itself is that it has three um, major components um, uh, behind it um, and and that we, we are hoping to sort of uh, um, get everybody to agree agree on Number one is transparency, um, that, you know, um, aggregated data and uh, metadata um, are open to the public, that, um, you know, things like um, software and algorithms that are used to analyze data um, are clearly understood, clearly defined, um, that government COVID-related uh, data strategies are made publicly available, such things. The second aspect of the declaration is that we want everybody to agree that um, um, data, you know, we, we must be inclusive, which means that decision about how COVID-19 data are used and taken through, uh, are taken through established uh, democratic processes, you know, like um, essentially that they are taken through a process that everybody agrees to, um, that the needs of vulnerable groups are taken into account, um, and that any public-private data partnerships um, that are that are established will not only be transparent, but will also include civil society and others to just protect the rights of the public. And finally, that appropriate steps are taken to make sure that um, we are accountable, um, to make sure that, um, you know, when, 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 when something wrong happens with the data, then somebody can be held accountable to it. The data that is collected for epidemiological purposes will not be used by uh, or shared with um, uh, security agencies or shared with other people like the revenue authorities and that sort of thing, um, that government bodies shall retain intellectual property rights over the databases. 
and protect them as such um, so that they are not going to be then shared by by to, pub, to private sector, for example, so that then private sector can monetize them and that sort of thing. And that government themselves will be accountable enough not to monetize that data um, for, for their own purposes. That, that sort of thing is what we, we, we are trying to get everybody to agree on within the declaration. Al, um, the Open Institute have been involved in a mobile phone application called Nuru. Is that, is that right? Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that we did at the beginning of the of the pandemic, just when it had hit, is we sat down with government and other stakeholders and we were trying to figure out how um, we could respond to it. How could we help respond? Now, one of the things that we have been very passionate about is finding citizen voices to guide government and to guide other stakeholders in terms of identifying, um, you know, the ways that we can respond. So we built Nuru as a tool that provides uh, communities with a means to self-report on on the challenges that they're having. So if communities were then using Nuru to um, talk about their access to water, whether there is water or not to wash our hands, um, whether um, sanitizer has been is being hoarded by by people, whether it is being um, overpriced and that sort of thing, so that then they are, they are, the government can then find uh, ways in which they can respond community by community, rather than um, have a generalized response that does not necessarily serve all of the communities. What we saw then communities do is talk about things like human rights violations, um, and that allowed for civil society organizations, for example, to go um, to specific communities and um, and intervene um, as much as possible. That is why we built Nuru. But even now that we have built Nuru and it has it has grown, we have seen that it is being used in eight countries um, to uh, track how contact tracing is being done uh, in different communities mm-hmm. um, around around uh, the continent. So it is being used in Malawi, in Sierra Leone, and several other countries. Um, and we are we are you know making it open to as many organizations as possible so that they can work with the communities because no two communities are the same so work with communities to give the communities a voice so that then governments and other stakeholders can find uh, ways to help them and presumably this will go beyond the pandemic that this this tool can be used you know going forward as well that's right yeah so we we, we, we can see use cases for, for for this tool to be used um, in many, many, um, in many, many ways, and so we're going to be making it readily available um, for all organisations um, and all communities to just take advantage of it and use it as as they will. And we are going to be offering support to all of the all of these organisations in terms of making sure that they can customise it to their needs and that they can uh, run with it. If any organisations are listening, Al, would they find information about that on your website? They can check out Nuru.live to have a bit of an experience on um, on uh, about Nuru itself. Um, and they can reach out to us at hello at openncity.com and we will make sure that we provide them with all of the support that they need. Um, my last question, and I will pose it to each of you, so um, perhaps you could talk a bit more. Um, if there is one thing you would like to see happen in the next year or so, what would it be? Maybe start with you, Tom. The declaration is our opening salvo, as Al has said. Um, the declaration is also almost a, a position statement as well. Um, it, it's what we hope will become the basis for a series of roadmaps 
which exist at the national level um, and that different countries will develop. What we'd like to see are those three principles of transparency, inclusion and accountability translated into policy commitments that different departments of government can use in different countries to help to define their actions in the coming year um, around how they will handle COVID-19 related data sets. Um, we're not expecting miracles in, in six months or in a year. Policy change takes an incredibly long time. But I think that one of the areas that the Restore Data Rights movement has an advantage over other similar campaigns is that we're very well placed to be able to work at that policy level, to engage directly with governments and to engage directly with those government departments which are working on these issues. Um, through our work in sustainable development as a field generally, we have those relationships across many different countries and across many different international organizations. And that I think gives us a lot of leverage to be able to position a declaration as something which is very much a living tool and a living um, creature which can help to improve practices over time. In terms of what I would like to see um, happen over the next year or so, it's quite simple, really. I want these issues that we're talking about, about individual rights, about collective rights and sensitive group data, which is a, a, a serious issue um, in many parts of Africa, um, and issues around third party use and how data will be stored, reused, and eventually, hopefully, um, either archived or deleted, to be talked about more actively, um, to be engaged with directly by policymakers, and for there to be um, a lively discussion and conversation, which is led by um, African stakeholders themselves, around how these issues should be resolved and dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis, because all the contexts are different, every single um, uh, country is different, every civil Every single subnational uh, unit is different, as Al was just saying when he was describing Nuru as well. Um, and it's important that there are local solutions to these global problems which are found. But what we can do through the movement, um, through the Restore Data Rights Movement and through the Declaration, is to provide a starting point and a template um, to help to structure those discussions. Um, what they will result in at this stage is a little bit of an unknown. I think we have a good idea of what we would like to see. We'd like to see those endorsements and those commitments, um, which would mean that there is, you know, some serious engagement with these issues and a mandate um, to proceed with, with helping to reform policy and change practice. But the starting point for me, and I think what is achievable within the next six months to a year, is to really raise the bar on the types of conversation which are taking place and the issues which are being discussed. Al, would you uh, add to that? Um, I, I, I would like to, in, in the short term, I would love to see just one thing. Mm. I would love to see, um, and, and if there are governments um, and civil society organizations listening, I want them to be clear. We would like to see that in every country there's a policy in place that specifically um, winds down the use of uh, data in the ways that they've been using it in the pandemic, that winds down those measures, um, and that is clear that the when the pandemic is over, they're not going to be doing contact tracing for anything else. They are not going to be using um, citizens' location data um, in ways that are not um, necessarily agreed. 
most countries, in fact, I, I don't know very many countries that have a policy in place that is as comprehensive and as clear as that. And one of the things that I'd love to see is as many countries as possible adopt a clear policy um, to wind down um, the misuse of uh, citizen data rights um, post the pandemic. Thank you both for speaking with me today and thank you to those listening for tuning in. In the next episode of The Data Optimist, I will be exploring the topic of the use of artificial intelligence and data to combat climate change. Until then.